0: Welcome to A Plautible Perspectives. Mary, it's so good to be with you today. Mary is a friend of mine that we enjoy traveling together and we've known each other from O'More School of Design, which has now been melded with Belmont and also through the Tennessee State Museum. So good morning, Mary, thanks for being here.
1: Well, thank you for having me, Pam. I think you said you wanted me to talk a little bit about myself and then talk about my career in marketing and communications uh i grew up in a gypsy-like family a military family my father specialized in international law so we lived outside of the united states more than we lived inside of the united states we lived i spent my childhood in guam um, but before that my parents lived in london england uh that's where both of my sisters were born i actually was born in oklahoma But uh, I've always been envious of them because they have dual citizenship. (laughs) After Guam, we lived in Texas, San Antonio, Texas, for a while, and we experienced Hispanic culture there, and then went to Germany, and that's where I went to high school. And my parents believed that education was important, but travel was education. So when we lived in these places, even like when we lived on the small island of Guam, they made sure to take us to the Philippines and to Japan uh, and Germany. We traveled all over Europe. And so that that gave me a taste of traveling, learning and appreciating other cultures and making friends with other people that lived in other parts of the world. And I've maintained some of these friendships today and continue to go back and uh, visit them and celebrate their cultures. Uh, I can't say enough about the importance of travel to people. I know I have met people, and the only places they seem to want to go are Florida, and I say to them, "This is." A- or the mountains. Or the mountains. Right. Yeah. Go to Florida,
0: the mountains every year.
1: And it's like experience another country, another culture. This is a big, wide world, mm-hmm. and we've become a global economy. And if. This last year taught us nothing more with this global pandemic. We are attached to all the other countries in the world Mm -hmm, and we need to understand what their beliefs and what they believe in, I think, to create harmony in this world.
0: Well, I think it's great to stretch yourself a little bit and get out of your comfort zone once in a while. Yes. Especially as you get older, because I think we get locked in. And unfortunately, because we're a huge self-sufficient economy in the middle of an enormous continent we become sometimes if we allow ourselves a little ethnocentric so you know go visit states outside of where you live but also go visit the rest of the world um would you recommend that young people travel try to put money aside to travel
1: well i told all of my nieces and nephews this when they went to college. I don't have any children of my own, so I give advice to nieces, nephews, godchildren. And some of them did this, and the ones that did, it enriched their lives so much, but colleges have opportunities now for you to go take some of these foreign exchange, spend a semester at another college overseas. Another thing that I recommended um, was in the summers, if you have the summers off, go, there's jobs at the national parks. They always are busier in the summer because so many tra- uh, families travel in the summer. And I've had um, some of my godchildren go to Yellowstone National Park mm-hmm. and uh, s- uh, uh, some other national parks that are closer to Nashville, Tennessee, where I live, the Smoky Mountains. And they've just had wonderful experiences. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like immersion um, programs, really. Right.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Right. So you went to Auburn. Right. Um, So when it was time to go to college, I was trying to think about, like everybody does, what do you want to do with your life? I kind of knew what my strengths were and what my weaknesses were. Weaknesses, math and science. Yep. (laughs) Um, My father was an attorney. My mother was a very creative person. She painted, she would um, sew costumes, she was just very, very creative, and I took more after her, although I had a little, a lot of my father, I think, business sense. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I kind of did not want to do was be a teacher, because all of the women on both sides of the family, my father's family and my mother's family, had become teachers, and I just thought, I think I want to do something else than be a teacher, so I applied to the School of Art and Architecture um, and started thinking, um, I might want to be an architect, but after looking, architecture is a very difficult program, and Auburn had one of the top architecture programs in the, the country. It was a five-year program, and, I, I, and, and you have to be strong in math skills. <laughs> and mm-hmm. I thought, okay, I'm not going to be an architect. But I started taking advertising design, and fell in love with it. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a career that I ever was introduced to. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden I started studying old ads and just fell in love with advertising. So that's what I set my sights on when I was in college was advertising. Um, I graduated from Auburn. I went to Atlanta, because t- Auburn isn't that far from Atlanta and we would take a lot of field trips over there, visiting the advertising agencies. It's hard to crack into mm-hmm. the app and get a job right out of college in an advertising agency. They tend to want to hire people with experience, and <clears throat> I understand that. Um, I, re- I couldn't find anything, so we had some um, relatives that lived in Nashville, Tennessee, and I came up to Nashville. I got my first job at um, publishing. It's very, very big in Nashville. Um, there's a lot of religious publishing houses, and that's where I got my first job, was at the Methodist, Methodist. Mm-hmm. Publishing House. Um, but all of a sudden, I realized that Nashville was a creative mecca. That there was there were advertising agencies, there were record labels mm-hmm. that hired graphic designers, both on staff as freelancers. Um, there was all the publishing houses... Uh, the other thing I loved about Nashville, it wasn't as big as Atlanta was, and you could be out in the countryside within 30 minutes. Easily. And I love mm-hmm. going hiking, kayaking. Well, back then I used to go, I go kayaking now. Um, back then I used to go canoeing, but um, about, you know, the same sort of skill set. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Get in a small boat and use a paddle. Uh, and uh, I just fell in love with Nashville, and I've I've been there ever since. It's... It's it's my home I consider because I've lived there for decades now, and because I grew up wandering all over the world, I never had really someplace. I didn't have a hometown like a lot mm-hmm. of other people mm-hmm. have. So you I, had roots all over the world. That's right. That's right. <laughs> um, <clears throat> I I loved it. I um I left the publishing house and I worked for I went to work for an agency called um, Eric Erickson and Associates. They were the biggest advertising agency in the state. How I got finally got in the door there was, um, I just kept talking to one of the creative directors there, asking him to give me freelance assignments so that I could show him, you know, the that, kind of work he right, could do. That I could, yeah. you know, I could do the grunt work because that's what you're going to get when <clears throat> when you start out. I don't care whether it's a music label, an advertising agency, whatever. They're, you know, these creative the executives that are at the top they started at the bottom of the ladder they're going to give you the grunt work and people that go in with an attitude and don't want to do the grunt work they're not going to hire they're looking for somebody who they're looking for what i call sponges Mm -hmm. people that want to soak up the knowledge learn from them assist them i I tell so many young people this i I love i I can't tell you how many i've had a lot of interns and they go well you know i went to college for four years i want to You know, I want to start at this salary, and I want to have a big office. And I'm like, when you start out, you're not going to get that. You have to work your way up. Mm -hmm. You have to pay your dues. And I know a lot of young people don't like to hear that, but that's...
0: Well, nobody wants to hear that. I didn't want to hear that either. But the the truth of it is, I think people are looking for tenacity, and they're looking for confidence, but not arrogance. There's a difference.
1: Right. And And you
0: appreciate it. Frankly, if you work up the ranks and when you finally do have some success, you appreciate it so much sweeter.
1: And so many things that they can't teach you in school. For instance, because I started my career as a graphic designer um, and worked my way up as art director, creative director, etc. But I didn't understand printing. And um, you, you can design the most beautiful brochure, but you have to understand... To get that product to a point of excellence that not only you're happy with, but your client is happy with, is you have to understand paper. You have to understand what's the best press for it to print on. Mm-hmm. You have to have an understanding of the whole production process. Cost. What's, what's it going right. to cost? Right. <clears throat> um, is it, it going to
0: be within the client's budget?
1: Exactly. And that's, um, yeah, something else you have to learn because there's so many other printing techniques like foil stamping and die cutting and all that. How
0: about deadlines, Mary? We talked about that before.
1: And deadlines. And so you have to understand how long it's going to take a piece to print and how long um, it's going to take to develop the text that goes in the brochure, then to design the brochure, then the approval process. And one of the things after I left the advertising agency um, and I started my own business uh, I think the reason I, I succeeded at business um, for a no, number of different reasons. First of all, um, I felt like my clients were partners in a project. Mm-hmm. But that meant they also had to take accountability and ownership of the project. So if they supplied me with the text, they, they, I would make them, they had to sign approval before, before anything went to print. So that, so that if a mistake was made, they had to take ownership of that. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. sometimes you don't know the spelling of somebody's name at the firm that you mm-hmm. might be working with. Or, you, you there's you know, there's all sorts of information they know better than you. Absolutely. If you're dealing with, um, I think I was telling you about one mis- mistake that happened mm-hmm. with the client, mm-hmm. that um, the country music star's name was misspelled and they had signed off on it. And I didn't know that country music star. Mm-hmm. And I felt like they, and and they had to take ownership because sure. that was their their person, their star, that's who they represented. And they signed off on the brochure and it wasn't until the piece was printed, they realized, oh darn it, his name's misspelled.
0: What did you do? Did you have to do another rush job to get, get another piece out? Yes. Yeah, which costs quite a bit of money. Yes
1: yeah so it cost them money not me money sure sure um, and I couldn't afford it I had just started my business that would have taken me under so as you're guiding a client into a branding
0: process which I I've, I've found with clients because we do in-house graphic design too they know what they think they want but they don't know how to get there and it seems like our job is to really help them a figure it out and then lead them to what they're looking for. Explain that process of branding.
1: So again, I always try to approach anything I develop for a client as a partnership and I wanted them to to explore and find out where they wanted to take their firm as far as branding or even if you're um, a music personality. So I would sort of take them through creative direction exercise try to find out whether they wanted to be taken seriously, Wanted whether they wanted a little bit of humor. Milmar, mm-hmm. For instance, like Southwest Airlines, they use humor in their branding. Very playful.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and
1: that's kind of what they wanted. Um, I start with, we start talking sometimes, especially in logo development, about colors. And I would find early on, I had a lot of Corporate clients that would come to me because Nashville's a healthcare mecca, and most of the, my clients at that time were men in the healthcare industry. And every time I'd ask them what their favorite colors were, they'd say blue and gray, mm-hmm. blue and gray, blue and gray. That's because that's the the kind of suits they wore. They exactly. all had blue suits and gray, gray suits. <laughs> yeah. And I'd start talking to them about, okay, let's look at your competition and all their competition. A lot of them had blue and gray logos. <laughs> And I said, one, you want to... are you going to stand, stand out? out? Sure. How are you going to differentiate? You don't want to look like your competition. You want to be different. And you don't have to choose colors with uh, that match the clothes you wear. And I always use the example of Fred Smith, who uh, started FedEx. Mm-hmm. When he started FedEx, he listened to his marketing firm. And they told him, Fred, you've got to stand out apart from UPS, because that was going to be who... His major competition was at the time. Mm-hmm. He was going to have FedEx tr- trucks on the street, FedEx boxes on the corner, FedEx packages that hits hit people's, people's desks with a sure. priority mail on it, and his planes in the sky. And he he picked two complimentary colors, purple and orange. Mm-hmm. And I now I can assure you that he didn't wear purple and orange. No, suits. no,
0: no. So you. Have, but they're iconic now when right, you think of FedEx. Right.
1: And so. You have to think about things as you're developing that branding and think about um, if you're writing the text for a brochure, do you want it to have a serious tone? Do you want it to have a playful tone?
0: Mm -hmm. Uh, Who's your target audience?
1: Exactly. Who's your target audience? Mm -hmm. And, And again, look at your competition. I can't say that enough because you need to do something to set yourself apart from the competition. If you look the same as the competition... People are just going to say, "What's the difference?" Mm-hmm. I might as well go over here, or I can go over there. But what's the difference? What is it? And that's something you also need to ask yourself, whether you're a bank or a hotel or a musician. What is the one thing that that I like to say, as the Cajuns say, "What's that lanyap? What's that little bitty extra, little extra. special thing?" That you can offer people that Mm -hmm. will set you apart from your competition. Mm -hmm. And make you memorable. Exactly. And
0: wouldn't you say also that when you come up with the colors, the brand, the logo, that this is something you stick with for a while. You don't keep changing
1: it. Exactly. People make a mistake. Um, I see this happen a lot um, where... I believe that you develop an ad campaign and you stick with that a lot. A lot of times people keep changing the message because mm-hmm. they're like, internally they're like, I'm sick of, of seeing where's the beef, where's mm-hmm. the beef, where's mm-hmm. the beef. Well, you know what? You see it all the time because that's where you work, but your audience isn't seeing that all the time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, there's a science to advertising. People, we, we get inundated now especially even more in the so day with social media mm-hmm. there's television there's radio there's so many different ways to see a message and so if your theme line like wendy's was where's the beef it takes a while before people see that message so you have to you know i think wendy's used that for years but mm-hmm. and they've dropped it now but it was probably 30 it, years ago we still remember it right, right. exactly mm-hmm. so Yeah. Repetition is very, very important because, you know, your audience is probably um, not going to notice it for for the first couple of times. And so, unless it's something really standout, clever, and uh, so you really need to remember that. And I also believe in, you know, when I look at um, buying advertising, you have to do a different mix of media because Mm -hmm. there's so many different ways that people get messages. Some people don't listen to the radio anymore. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, Some people only listen to the radio and never watch television. Uh, We have
0: more options now. Right. We have social media and texting and all different ways to communicate with people.
1: And you might be going to, and again, um, this might be something where you work with a firm that does focus groups, Find out who your audience is, understand that, and, and see if this, is this a group that mostly, I mean, is it younger people and social medias where you need to go? Uh, are you going to an older population that uh, there's magazines that are targeted towards them? For instance, if, you know, hotels, of course, they're going to go into travel magazines. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, you just have to again. It's very important to understand your audience and know where you, you know, you want to take that message.
0: Mary, rewind a little bit when you were. Now, of course, we know each other, gotten to know each other better now since I've been involved with the state museum and you have been working with the state museum. So you've done a lot of work with travel writers and special events, the waltz, etc. But before, when you were running your own business, talk a little bit about putting a business together, and being a boss? Because I I know that's one of the more difficult jobs that you've had. How can you be a good boss, and what are some of the pitfalls that you've learned about working with people and putting a staff together?
1: Okay. Well, first of all, one of the things when I started my business, I I realized um, I was going to have to network. Mm -hmm. Nashville's a big networking town. So I, right away, got very involved with a lot of organizations. Mm -hmm. No matter where you are, there's gonna be a Chamber of Commerce, usually a Convention and Visitors Bureau, um, Rotary Clubs, Kiwanis, places like that. You need to... um, Lions Club. Exactly.
0: In the music business, there's all kinds of music organizations, Solid and Source.
1: So networking, you've gotta be an outgoing person. If you wanna have a business, and you're an introvert, it's gonna be very difficult. Mm-hmm. I used to tell graphic design students when I would talk to them, you can be the best designer in the world, but designing something beautiful is only one third of the equation. Absolutely. You've gotta get it produced, and I already talked about that, so getting that design produced, understand production. But the third part is selling. You have to sell your ideas, and you have to find somebody to sell them to. Mm-hmm. And so, in starting your own business, if If you're an introvert, then you're going to have to hire a salesperson Mm -hmm. because somebody's Mm -hmm. got to get your designs out there to market. And and sometimes
0: get out of your comfort zone because I I don't love walking into a room with complete strangers. Most people don't. You just sort of have to feel the fear and get get over it and, and plunge forth.
1: Right. So because I'm more the salesperson... Uh, when I started hiring employees, I started hiring other graphic designers because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I was bringing in all this graphic design work and I would oversee it, but I would need, you know, I would either need them to design it or oversee it. And I was the one who was better at taking the clients through the creative direction outline mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and finding out where they wanted to go with the project. And it's, I would. You know, because I was looking for graphic designers, um, I would look at portfolios, but I would also talk to them and try to find out if they had this, the personality that go. would fit with me and my clients. I think that was important. Um, sometimes I would hire interns, so that way, and I always paid interns. I've, I've never liked to hear about people that use interns like slave labor, I just don't think that's fair. I would always pay them, and but I the, it would give them a trial run to see if this is something they really wanted to do, work in a small design firm, or see if they could fit in with me and the rest of my staff. Um, and some of the best people I ever hired um, started out as interns who worked for me and have gone on and done absolutely incredible mm-hmm. things. Mm-hmm. Um, It's, you know, I try to be, I try to be flexible, but because we were working with clients and they had deadlines, uh, if a brochure was due, I, I needed the people that I worked with to understand those deadlines. Mm -hmm. If they wanted to come in earlier than I did into the office and get started and then leave early, as long as they got their job done, Mm -hmm. I was fine with flexible hours. Mm -hmm. Many times we'd have to work um, late at night or go on a press check late at night, and then I'd make sure that they had flex time. Um, I was also um, trying to be—I had a small company, but because I was sometimes competing with some of the bigger advertising firms in Nashville, I— Made sure that I paid my employees' benefits, and mm-hmm. that, that's very difficult for a small business. Yes, I understand. Mm-hmm. Um, especially healthcare. Mm-hmm. So I would, I would try to. I've always paid healthcare too. I just think it's, it's a moral obligation, really,
0: until we have universal healthcare, if we ever do. Yes, yes.
1: So that's <clears> some <throat> of the things that that I would do. Uh, I ended up, um, I, I started out with some clients that were. Very small companies that grew into large companies. Mm-hmm. And Do you want to list some of the people you've worked with? Some of the sure. companies people might recognize? Sure. Um, I started out with a healthcare company called Healthcare Management Systems. They were um, healthcare software. When they had one hospital as mm-hmm. a client and worked with them until they had almost 300 wow. hospitals. I started working with um, a firm called Corrections Corporation of America. I think they're called Civic Corps now, mm-hmm. but they only had one prison, Prisons. and they, mm-hmm. they grew. They, Huge. Um, I helped them with corporate identities. Um, then I had music clients. I worked with um, b Records, RCA, uh, BMI um, on projects. Uh, I worked, the Tennessee State Museum was one of my fun clients. I mean, the music business was fun. Tennessee State Museum was fun. Uh, Fun designing some of the invitations to the openings of their exhibits. And that
0: led to a job.
1: Right. Mm -hmm. And so after I sold my company, and I was really... Even though you say, oh, I want to retire young, I would have been bored. I mean... Sure. Mm -hmm. So um, the museum sort of created a job for me because they really didn't have anybody on staff doing marketing and communications. Mm -hmm. And so when I started there, I mean... I was like a department of one. I mean, I was helping them with everything from marketing, advertising, public relations. Mm-hmm. Got them started with social media. Um, Press releases, newsletters. E- everything. Now I mean, you give th- tours. You have travel writers, and you give tours to the travel writers. Right. We wear a lot of hats. Now it's a department <laughs> of five. I mean, mm-hmm. what... the museum was doing no social media when i got there 15 years ago mm-hmm. and i said hey we've got to at least be on Tripadvisor." every mm-hmm. you know that's how travelers especially i have european friends and before they ever come to america they start looking up on Tripadvisor what the destinations mm-hmm. are in that city mm-hmm. so and then you know it was slowly you know facebook etc and now we have one person that does nothing but social mm-hmm. media. That's how much social media has grown and changed. And blogs and right
0: on and on. Um, <clears throat> any final words of advice or aha moments that you've had or anything else you'd like to share? And maybe specifically with women who are listening because we're both women entrepreneurs.
1: Um, yeah, I've been asked many times, was it was it hard being a woman in business and being taken seriously? And I think sometimes it was, I think when I, um, when I started my business and because I had a lot of, like I said, men clients that were um, starting healthcare firms and, and, uh, starting, some you know corporations like Corrections Corporation. Dress is important. I would always dress up. Mm-hmm. I would you know uh, I would always wear suits. Mm-hmm. I, I would try to look the part so that they would take me seriously. Mm-hmm. If you know, I'm sitting in here right now because we've been at the beach and I can look kind of casual, you know, casual and airy fairy hippy dippy. But you can't do that and have a man no. in business take you seriously. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, I would I, say well, watch what you post on social media because it follows you. Right. And there are people I haven't hired because you look at their social media posts and you're like, oh my God, this person's crazy, this person's wild, this person, you don't want that image.
1: Exactly, and also the business part kicks in. And, and I think most men is if you come across business like they're gonna take you seriously, I would have them sign you know, I would do an estimate for a project, I would have them sign off on that, I would have them sign off on mm-hmm. a contract. Mm-hmm. If they if they say, Oh, you know, she's really sharp, she knows her business, if they know they're gonna have to sign off. They're mm-hmm. gonna have to prove all of the copy. They're gonna have to prove the designs, everything. If they see that you're really acting business like, they're going to treat you with respect. Mm-hmm. Um I I can't say enough about this You can be, if you're a creative person and you think, ah, I can get away with this because I'm creative, you can get stuck with thousands of dollars (laughs) that people owe you if they don't. And and you don't want to have to take people to court. No. I mean, that's an expensive process. So having, you know, there's um, organizations that can help you out there. There's books out there that can help you. But you need to understand contracts and having people... It's you a business. A, treat right. it like a
0: business. Exactly. You can be creative, but treat it like a business. Exactly. And make sure you bill people. <laughs> right. I've had friends that are broke, and, and I'm like, well, did you send a bill out? I had a photographer friend. He's like, no, I'm behind on my billing. I said, well, what do you expect? People are not going to. If you exactly. don't remind them what you what what is owed. So, it's just keeping a timeline and 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 have a bookkeeper if you can afford a bookkeeper,
1: right. I always had a bookkeeper and an accountant mm-hmm. um, me too and so and that was important and and but, I used to have to take time, like you said, I had to stop and figure out the billing mm-hmm. and I used to also um and my clients understood this too, part of the contract was is. I had estimated a job based on what they told me they wanted, but then if they started making changes, that they were going to have to pay for the changes. If it was a mistake that my firm made, no cost. We make, you know, we would change it. We'd make the changes. But if they started changing their mind after they saw the brochure and they're like, you know, I don't really like this text after all. I want to change it. They have that prerogative as long as they were willing to pay for it. Mm -hmm. Because... When I had employees, it was like, I have to pay these employees. I have to pay their benefits. And
0: if you are paying them overtime, that takes out of your net profit. Right. Your, your ROI, what is the ROI, you know? Right. Well, Mary, anything else you'd like to add?
1: You have to, no matter what you do, you have to love what you're doing. And um, I I loved and still love marketing and being a part of the creative world. And I still continue um, to learn about new paper. Every year, new papers come out. And that's something else I've always told um, interns and students that work with me. You've got to love learning. When Mm -hmm. you leave school, you don't quit learning. Since, you know, I, I had to go back, I even took a class on how to build a website when I was at O'Moore, even though I was the vice president of institutional advancement, I needed to understand more about the web, you know, websites, because mm-hmm. I was overseeing redoing the college's website. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When I went to the museum, I was very um, involved in redoing the museum's website, the museum's educational website. I had to learn all that, mm-hmm. you know, when and, and when I was in my mid thirties, and I was going and taking a class with teenagers. <laughs> Oh mm-hmm. but I love learning and I, I never um have quit love learning. Well, I
0: think it, it helps keep you young, you know. I mean, you're you're vibrant. You you dare to do things and kayaking and hiking and travelling and getting out of your comfort level and, and it makes you a more well rounded, fun person really. You're not just stuck and you love to read. We both yes, love I to do. read. I do know? love to
1: read. Yeah. So just I yeah, and just the the more you can be a sponge. That's I guess the best advice is be a sponge. Try to soak in, you know, knowledge, culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think
0: and play it okay. forward. That's right. Thanks for being here, Mary Skinner.
1: Thanks for having me. And
0: you've been listening to Applaudable Perspectives.